have your Bibles, open those to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. And as you're turning there, I would love for you to uh, just, uh, could we just thank our worship team for leading us this morning? Sarah, it's good to have you back. Jared, you're fine too. Uh, so, no, uh, we are grateful that they are back with us today. Uh, as Jared has come to the conclusion of his sabbatical, um, praying that it benefited him. And I know that that will in turn benefit us as a church. We're in Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing a series called Sacred Inversion as we look at the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. In particular, what we have historically called the Beatitudes. These ideas that God would say, these are who my people are. This is what I would have my people to be. This is how their lives should present. So let me read this over us uh, each week. Well, I've been reading these Beatitudes over us, and we're going to dive in and see what these teachings really tell us about the nature and character of God and how that nature and character of God has been uh, thread into his people. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. When he saw, this being Jesus, he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. And then, they began, then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive, be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness' sake, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when, you, when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say e every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your, your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before me. Our emphasis today is verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be so, shown mercy. God's deep joy has been shown to the merciful, and they will be shown mercy. We're at the point of these pieces of the Sermon on the Mount where the ingredients are becoming noticeable. These things are combining together, swirling around in the life of the one who has faith in God through the person of Jesus, trust in Jesus as the Messiah of the world, where these things are working together in such a way that it would present itself, that it would make itself known. I'm not much of a cook. I, I never have been. I, I believe Hope and I had been uh, married for a little over a year when I told her that I had uh, grilled out as she was driving home. Uh, see, there were these grilled chicken patties I'd put on the grill outside of my house, and I thought that counted. It did not, as I look at it in retrospect, all the meals that she has made for me, and that's what I give her in return. The other night, there were some chicken legs, and I, I thought to myself, well, I guess I should try this. I hope it told me they were in the refrigerator, and I thought, well, I mean, I'm not super dumb, and YouTube helps you get over that. 
So I watched a DIY of how to cook things on the grill. They were, they were a little tough. I'm going like jerky. But as I prepared these, what, the, the real answer for everything was in the sauce. I took everything and I began to combine it together. I noticed that there, was, uh, there were multiple uh, variants of uh, barbecue sauce in our refrigerator. So I mixed a couple of those. It didn't look good enough, though, for me to be uh, doing this uh, chef business. So I added a few other things to the mix. I added some uh, everything bagel salt. I thought that would be helpful. I also put some honey in there. Uh, Hope uh, asked me what I'd put in the sauce. And when I told her, she said, Chad, do you know how much sugar is in barbecue sauce? I did not. I had no clue whatsoever. Mixing these things together. But at the moment that I put this on the grill, you began to, to smell it. The aroma began to show itself, to put itself on display. When you look at these Beatitudes up to this point, these are things that are building off of one another. We see them swirling together in the very first four. And in the next four, you begin to see them present. You begin to see what God has put together in the life of a person who belongs to him and how those things are going to put Jesus on display. The aroma of these ingredients is becoming more and more obvious. Paul would say it in this way, that maybe, just maybe, we're seeing salvation worked out with fear and trembling. We're seeing the people of God presented as blameless and pure in the midst of a perverted and crooked generation. We're seeing the blameless and pure people of Yahweh presented as his kingdom people, his kingdom of heaven people. We're noticing as spiritual bankruptcy, the spiritual bankrupt in spirit, leads to those who are his people mourning over their sin, their lack of being able to do anything that pleases God on their own. Their inability to be enough in and of themselves. We're noticing that this mourning over sin will lead to a humility or a meekness, as Greg Baker preached up, because of our lack of righteousness on our own. A shying away from the notion of self-righteousness. We're seeing as these ideas come together that those who have a lack of righteousness on their own will truly hunger after the righteousness that is given to you from God. We're considering the words of Micah and taking them into account. That we would see the justice of God done out of merciful love. Uh, MacArthur says it this way, Loving kindness is not just feeling sympathetic or compassionate. It's getting inside someone's skin until you think their thoughts, until you feel their emotions, until you understand their pain. It is feeling suffering and offering to relieve it. We are seeing in these Beatitudes as we are moving from root to fruit and how what is growing in us should show because of that. We notice that this text is taking us to the idea of the mercy of God existing because of justice and how these two things are connected together, mercy and justice. You can't have one without the other. They're united concepts. Confession, I'm a terrible driver. I have historically been a terrible driver. As many of you know, I was without a bumper for two years. People would ask me, who hit you? And I had to tell them it was a fire hydrant. Just jumped right there off of the sidewalk and hit me. Two weeks after I got the bumper replaced, I got rear-ended by another car. It's become the thorn in my flesh. I understand Paul a little more deeply because of that Honda Civic with that pla- or that Honda Accord with that plastic bumper. I've also been pulled over a lot. Been pulled over where I lived in Chattanooga. I was driving through my hometown when I was a kid. I was going around 41 in a 30 mile per hour zone. 
This policeman jumped out of this place where he was hidden, which I think is illegal, but I know what I was doing was illegal, so I guess it kind of moots itself. He pulls me over, begins to have a hard conversation with me, and, and I began to talk to him as if I were Tiny Tim asking for mercy. And he said, speed kills, son. Uh, thank you, Nancy Reagan. Uh, I, I was also, since I've been here, I've had numerous times where I have been pulled over. If you know any policemen in the area, I've probably called you. Uh, these policemen in the area have been so kind and gracious to me. I will forget to get my sticker renewed from time to time. Anybody else do that? You can admit it here. This is a safe space, safe zone. I'll get noticed for having a sticker that was from December of 2020. They'll begin to have a conversation with you. They'll hand you a citation. Uh, maybe you've been pulled over for being in the shared left turn lane and you, you, because you don't know what to do because no one knows what to do when they're in that, in that area. I was driving home uh, once from downtown Lake Jackson uh, and a police officer uh, started to follow me. When he eventually pulled me over, and by eventually I mean he followed me for a long time, he said, Mr. Poe, I've been following you with lights on since you were at HEB. I turned, this is as I'm pulling into my neighborhood, by the way. He said, I turned on the siren at Old Angleton and you still did not respond to me, handing me a citation. Now, they give you a citation and I want you to know that's not really mercy. It's a reminder that you should have received justice. When they give you a citation, it reminds you that you deserve justice, but you also received mercy. When we get to this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, when we get to this piece of the Beatitudes, we're beginning to have a conversation about the mercy of God. And as you and I look at the mercy of God, it is a reminder to us, in a sense, as we consider what the mercy of God is and how the mercy of God works, that we should have received justice. When Jesus says to us, blessed are the merciful, he is saying that there is a deep God-given joy that has set itself down inside of the people who belong to God. This is not just a, a happiness because you've been forgiven of something that is small or minuscule. This is a deep, moving joy of God. God's people who are merciful, they get somewhere that God has interacted with them. If you're a note taker, here's a really helpful definition of mercy for us. It is forgiving someone when you have the power to punish them. Mercy is offering forgiveness when you have the power to punish. God is saying to these people, God in the flesh stands in their midst. In a world where the, numerous, the multitude of who stand in front of Jesus as he preaches this sermon, they have various ruling and reigning authorities over their lives. Many of them, them who are mistreating them. They have the Romans who tax them. Tax them insatiably. On top of the Roman taxes, they have these uh, tax collectors. You may be familiar with one, like Matthew, the gospel writer. Like Zacchaeus, who was that wee little man. And these tax collectors, on top of what the Roman government expected, would ask for even more. Showing punishment. Showing no mercy. But besides the idea of the entire governmental system that they lived in... You have the notion of the Pharisees who were there. 
The Pharisees who kept expecting things of people, causing weight to be on them, burdens they could not bear. It's in that world that Jesus says to meek and humble and broken fishermen and to people who are shepherds, who are doing everything they can to get to the next portion of their provision for their family. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It's considering the idea that we always have an opportunity to show mercy to someone. Uh, turn your Bible over to Matthew chapter 18. When we look through these Beatitudes, we will see Jesus at times unpack what attitude at a later portion in the text. One of the most helpful ones that we see is in Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21, as Peter is having a conversation with Jesus, as Peter often does, trying to justify his own actions, trying to make himself right before the people, trying to make himself right based on what he's done, anything that he may do. This Peter, impetuous Peter, Peter who will chop off the ear of a Roman soldier eventually. Peter, you are familiar with Simon Peter. He asked Jesus in verse 21, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me as many as seven times? Now, every child in the room loves this question because every child in the room has asked this question. More than likely, you were like me when I was in the backseat of my mom and dad's uh, Buick Regal and I said, how many times do I really have to forgive my brother? How many times do I need to let him off of the hook? We've asked this question wondering about forgiveness. How many times do I have to deal with the dumb things that he does? Maybe you've asked yourself, how many times do I have to put up with the silly things that she says? Peter, though, when he asks this question, he's not counting up to the number of times that he has to forgive, nor are we. When we ask a question like this, God, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven. We're not asking to see how many times to get to that number. We're actually counting down to see how quickly we can show revenge. How quickly can I deal with this buffoon who has mistreated me? How quickly can I uh, choke slam them? How, how quickly can I put them in a chicken wing? How quickly can I do something terrible to them when they're not looking? How quickly do I get to offer up some type of vengeance? Jesus replies to Peter. I tell you, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. We just math that out. 7 times 11. 77. That's in the chart. I'm not an engineer. I know that math. As Jesus says this, he, though, is not even saying 70 times 7. He has given a number to Peter that is an ending, that is absolutely merciful, that is a display of how God really does look at the sins of people who turn to him and who trust him. And at this point, Jesus goes into a parable. You more than likely are familiar with parables. In the parables of Jesus, he will tell us a story. He was not the only parable teller in his world. Numerous teachers would use parables to display who they, who they understood God to be. Jesus goes into a parable and he uses a phrase that we've already talked about this morning from this Beatitudes when he says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven it can be compared to this. Remembering, the kingdom of heaven is something that we know now. We've experienced God's good future now. We know the mercy and grace of God now. 
The kingdom of heaven is like this. He then goes on and he can be compared to a king who went to settle accounts with his servants. Jesus is expounding upon his beatitude teaching as to what the gospel really is. And in these Jewish parables, the king symbolized God. And this idea of settling accounts, it regularly symbolizes divine judgment. When he began to settle his accounts, verse 24. One who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. He didn't have the money to pay it back. Here's why he didn't have the money to pay it back. I do a little math. Well, history. Well, math history. History math. 10,000 talents is a billion days wages. Billion with a B. No one in the crowd that overhears Jesus has this. As a matter of fact, at this point in history... This is more money than is circulating in all of Palestine combined. This man's debt is massive. It is not really forgivable if you're basing forgiveness on merit. He's not going to make anything happen to get this forgiven. Notice what he says. 25, since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, and his, his children, and everything that he had be sold to pay the debt. Common practice, sell yourself into indentured servitude. And though you don't have enough to forgive, into perpetuity, we'll roll with this. You will get this forever. I will just get the, this cost, this sum, and I will know that forever on top of forever, you're working for me. This seems exhausting. It's unfathomably hopeless that he would take anything in exchange. The fact that he would take the man, his wife, his children, and their stuff in exchange, that in itself is a small mercy offered to him by the king. At this, the servant, verse 26, he falls down before him he said just be patient with me I will pay you everything I, I don't even I don't even know how to count the 10 billion but I'll pay you everything I'll give you all of my stuff I'll do it all <clears throat> at this point in the story Jesus flips the script because the understanding of stories like this from Pharisees would end with a no the king would expect retribution. The king would expect to be given what was to be paid to him. Verse 27, Then the master of that servant had compassion. And he released him and he forgave him the loan. Notice what happens here. Mercy acts. Mercy is active. This display is something that is, is moving when Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, he's not saying that we have this ambiguous idea of occasional forgiveness. He's saying the people who belong to Yahweh will act in forgiving ways. We will show forgiveness when punishment is deserved. However we happen to define punishment. But it's not just a matter of redirecting this person towards forgiveness. It's helping them to see there was something that was to be paid. 
But I'm going to offer you forgiveness in its place. But this man does something super weird. And I don't know if you're like this. But for me, when mercy acts on my behalf, it is pretty simple for me to get into this really bad place of putting myself in the place of the king. The king sits in the place where he can judge. The king is in the place to show, to show mercy when punishment should be offered. This display on behalf of the king that Jesus tells us the story of should give direction, definition to how we understand what forgiveness is. Yet this man puts himself in an altogether different place. The king acts because mercy acts. This man, however, overlooked what that really meant. The servant went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Pretty large amount, but not massive. And nothing in comparison to what he had been forgiven. He grabbed him. He started choking him. He's more violent than the king was to begin with. He has not only put himself in the place of the king, he has superseded, superseded the power of the king. He grabbed him. He started choking him. He said, pay me what you owe. Because that's how I read it. At this, his fellow servant fell down and he began to beg him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. This should seem familiar because this just happened. Jesus tells this story to a people, some of them who have had this happen to them in some small way. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay with what he had owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed. And they went to the master and reported to him everything that had happened. And after he summoned him, he said, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant? Taking us back to the words of Jesus. Blessed are those. A deep joy has been given to those who grasp God's deep mercy. Blessed are those who are displaying mercy. Blessed are those who forgive when they feel like they've been wronged. Blessed are those. So it reminds us of what Hosea will tell us that Jesus will quote multiple times. The idea of who God is is one where he, he desires mercy for us instead of sacrifice. Sacrifice was ritual. Mercy is a, is a product of relationship. And that's not saying that sacrifice and ritual are bad. It's saying if they miss the notion of mercy, then they miss everything. Are we a forgiving people? 
Or are we, uh, yeah, but they did this. And yeah, they said this. And I can't believe they acted that way. And you don't understand how they've mistreated me. And you don't understand the way they've wronged me. A deep joy has been displayed to those who are merciful. You grasp the notions of God's deep forgiveness. You know what the deep forgiveness of God feels like. It, it resonates in you because it's taken on flesh. The idea of the forgiveness of God himself took on flesh. That God would take on the flesh of a person. That God would die in our place. So that forgiveness could be offered. So that we could display mercy through his sacrifice. Mercy is not silent. It's not ambiguous. It, it's tangible. It's us forgiving tangibly. It's us caring tangibly. When we read through passages like this, we're considering the idea of what God is saying to his people. That he will forgive those. He will forgive his people. That God cares for you and God cares for me. And that we can be confident that when we turn to Jesus, he will be merciful like your heavenly father is merciful. That we know that God has offered us this real place of being in his presence. So when we express our frustrations or our our disdain toward anyone do we realize what we're doing we are aligning ourselves with the unbelief of the people that met with God at the exodus we shared weeks ago the series called God is good it was about God being good and in that we walk through how God is merciful to the thousand ten thousandth generation that's the God that we say that we are in alignment with when we are an unforgiving people, what we are saying is that we have aligned ourselves with someone who other than our God. We act as if we have no accountability to, the, to Yahweh and we have no experience of His mercy toward us. When we are awake to the realness of God's just and merciful presence, we're going to express His mercy toward people who may have hurt us. What about you? Are you a person who looks at wrongdoing? And see that you have a desire to show immediate retribution. Or are you slow to judge? Are you quick to listen? Are you slow to speak? We think through what we read in the entirety of the New Testament about the notion of mercy. We read in Jude as one of the brothers of Jesus talks to us about mercy. We read in James about how God talks to us through the, through the other brother of Jesus about mercy. We read through these, these Beatitudes and we see God's display and His desire for His people to be merciful. We see this is a product of being a person in right relationship with God that we would be merciful. Would we not allow the numerous voices in our ears to give us a definition of what it means to forgive that is in opposition to the definition that God does? Would we look at the world around us with his hope, with his mercy, with his grace? And would we ask ourselves, this God who I claim to know, if he is more interested in mercy than commands? If he's more interested in me showing compassion than he is ritual? Why shouldn't I be? To be God's merciful people. Uh, here's what I want us to think through this morning. We, we consider the idea uh, of what it means for us to be shown 
the cross, what it means for us to meet with God in the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, would we continually bypass the idea of taking that for granted? Would we consider the death of Jesus in our place? The citation that God has given us to look and say, that, that's what mercy looks like for me, and that's what mercy should look like through me. Will we look and see that mercy gives, mercy acts, mercy is generous, mercy is caring? Would we see that God has given us an opportunity to put Him on display? Here's what I want us to do this morning. I want, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. And with your head bound and with this truth out there for his people, would we ask ourselves, who am I struggling to be merciful toward? Who am I punishing when I ought to be forgiving? Who am I lording over and putting myself in the place of the king? When I should never stop putting myself in the place of the servant. Father, we trust you and we trust that your words guide us and they direct us. And they, Lord, they show us that you've done a work in your people. And Lord, would we... Will we offer this the aroma of mercy? Would we be forgiving? Would we fight against the desire in us to say, yeah, but, or what about? And continually put ourselves in your place, Jesus. Will we look to the cross as our understanding of what forgiveness is? And would we be welcoming with arms wide open in the way that you welcome us? Lord, I pray that we would get mercy. Lord, I pray for me that I would get mercy. That I would understand it. Because you've, you've given it to me. You've said that there's a deep joy for those who are merciful. Let us see and know that.